Uh, I'm Matt. I'm one of the pastors. It is great to be here this morning. I want to give a special shout out of my own to, to Steve Heimler. Uh, last week, I threw out my back on Friday evening. So Saturday morning, I made a call to Steve and was like, so how about you feel like pinch preaching for me? Um, so as is any good preacher, he, had, he said, absolutely. So I want to say thank you for stepping in and uh, loving our people and being the kind of man who knows God has uh, much in his tank to offer in a moment like that. So thank you. Well, as, as Mike said, we're starting a, uh, a series on prayer, uh, a six-week series on prayer. And uh, one of the things I, I've come to realize is uh, everyone prays. Do you, do you know that everyone prays? I mean, Muslims pray, uh, Buddhists pray, uh, uh, Protestants and Catholics pray, uh, uh, atheists and, and agnostics, even they pray. They all acknowledge that they do, they do pray. And some pray to ancestors, and, and, and some people pray to the universe. Uh, the people pray to God, other people pray to themselves, or, or they just send, send wishes. In, in, uh, prayer, prayer is this universal thing. And it's something that's deeply embedded in what it means to be human. We, we can't seem to help ourselves. There's, there's this internal desire that says, I got I to gotta thank someone or I got to talk to someone about the fact that there's this, there's this beautiful thing out here, that this world, or there's, there's these wonders that I don't totally understand and it's bigger than me. And so I feel like I need to talk about it or, or express that to something or, or someone. And so we pray for forgiveness. We pray for, uh, for, 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 the, for the small things that we're not sure what to do about it. We pray because we feel small and we feel helpless. Sometimes we pray when we're afraid. When 9-11 happened, everyone prayed. Churches were full and packed of people who hadn't prayed in years, maybe, and were suddenly praying because they didn't know what to do because life had fallen apart. We all pray when we feel alone. Even the person who has no interest in God and doesn't think there is such a thing there's alone, there's a reaching out to, maybe there is someone, there is something out there that sees me and I'm maybe not by myself. According to Gallup, nine out of 10 people pray regularly. Isn't that crazy? That means that there are more people that are gonna be praying this week than going to work or driving a car. It says that three out of four people pray every day. Uh, that surprised me candidly, especially this is in America. You know, I was like, that, that's a lot of people praying. The question was, what, are we, what is being prayed? And so I thought if I asked you, because maybe you'd be asked this question, is, is I would say, do you, do you pray regularly? And I suspect most of you'd be like, yeah. And I'd say, well, do you, do you think prayer is important? And I suspect most of you'd say, yeah, it's, it's actually really, really important. And then if you're like most people, then I'd say, well, tell me, tell me a little bit about, about how, much, how, how much do you pray? And then there may be some awkward looking around, you know, and maybe something like, hey, well, it depends on the day, you know, but maybe, maybe, maybe five minutes, maybe seven minutes, you know, maybe, maybe nine. That would be above average. And they say, okay, well, uh, what, what is your satisfaction in prayer? And I suspect that if you're like most people, it would be like, well, not super satisfying. How often do you experience the presence of God in prayer? You probably say something like, well, not super often. Sometimes, but not, not super often. And that's the norm in our experience of pray, prayer. If we're honest, our experience of prayer is oftentimes way more burdensome, way more something that feels like a duty beyond a, a grace or, or a joy. 
So I've spent the last six weeks in, in preparation for this series. It's probably the most time I've ever spent in anticipation of a series. I've been reading a bunch of books and I'm getting to talk to a bunch of different people asking questions. I've been particularly being, paying attention to prayer as I experience it. Being a pastor, you know, all we do is pray all day. Um, but I'm in a lot of prayer moments. You know, I pray with the elders, I pray with my staff, I pray with some of you. We go over as the elders and we anoint people with oil and pray for them there. And I pray over meals and I pray when Becky and I go walking most of the time. And so, so I've been kind of just paying attention to what's, what happens? What, what do I really think about these prayer moments? And, you know, there's the, there's the theory and then there's practice. What do I really believe? What, how does this really work? How does this really manifest itself? What are some of the, the, the doubts that I wouldn't declare, but, but, but show up when I'm really honest about it? When I ask the real and true questions, I think what I've been particularly paying attention to is what goes on in my own private prayer time. And as I've come through all this time, I've come to basically just a few conclusions. First is um, that prayer is, is mysterious. Uh, the more time I've spent, the more I've realized it's not something you could, just like God, you can't put it in a box. The moment you put prayer in a box, it like blows out the sides. You just can't get your arms around. You can't simply say, well, it's just this and it works always this way because it doesn't. And, and if we're really honest, it's way more complex. It's way more mysterious and we're not always sure what to do with this. And platitudes, if you really dig deep into prayer, don't work. They don't hold. So prayer is mysterious and prayer is hard. I think it's easier to do almost anything else than prayer. I'm not sure that's true. Maybe working out's harder. I don't know. But it seems like prayer is more difficult to truly, truly pray. Prayer is hard. And I've also come to be, to, to be convinced that it's impossible to have a relationship with God. To have a, a true relationship with a living God without prayer. But if I want more of him, and, and if I want more of understanding myself in light of him, I must pray. There is no substitute. There is nowhere else to go. And so therefore we find ourselves in this series. But it's not just that I need to pray. I actually, I believe we long to pray more. And not just more as in I want to participate in more activities of prayer. But I want to be the kind of person who prays more. And what I've realized, as Becky just asked me the real simple question, she said, what do you long for at the end of these six weeks? And I simply said that we'd pray more. That we'd be the kind of people who pray more. And so we're going we're gonna to look at prayer in, in six categories. We're going to look at, at praying more honestly today. And we're going to look at what it means to pray more truthfully or more in light of truth. Become the kind of people who pray more humbly. The kind of people who pray more helplessly. The kind of people who pray more expectantly and the kind of people who pray more persistently. So what you're, I'm going to ask you to suspend some judgment because I know some of you theological scholars out here, we're going to talk about praying honestly today and immediately you're going to go like, well, hold on. It's not just that. And the answer is you're right. It's not just that. So we're going to do a complete series to hold a complete picture in the mystery of what prayer is, to look at what prayer means. And today we want to talk about what it means to pray honestly. But before we do that, I want to give you three, three practices that I would like us together to try during these six weeks. You can do anything for six weeks, right? 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 Okay. This is good. We can't even answer. And, but that's good. This is good. This, I feel the commitment already. This is great. Um, 
right, the first thing I want you, I'd like you to do is, as, as, uh, as uh, Mike said, DBGs are going to be doing um, Job and, and Psalms. The Psalms are the bo- our book of prayer. They're a book of songs and a prayer. And so what I'd like to invite you into is each day to read two Psalms. I mean, you're probably reading other stuff already, but to read two Psalms and to just read them and then pray them. Read them and pray them. I'm going to talk a ton about that next week, so I'll just put that aside right now and say, read two Psalms a day and just read the words, and then as you read them, just, just pray the things that God brings to mind, okay? That's a simple task. So two Psalms a day in the morning, at evening with other people, whatever. Just read and pray. The second thing is, I'd like to invite you to pray once a week for 20 minutes out loud with somebody else. This is not just because I want you to pray with other people, though I really, really do. And that means you can do this with your community group. So all community groups, you all have to pray 20 minutes a week now when you get together, all right? Mandate. Um, but, but, but maybe it's with your spouse. Maybe it's taking your family and bringing you together to pray. But, but take 20 minutes and, and pray 20 minutes together with someone else once a week. And keep a pulse on yourself. Listen, listen to what's happening in you. Listen, pay attention to what you experience, to what you start believing and not believing, okay? Some of what we're doing here is we're going to use these practices to inform our hearts as to what do we really actually believe and how do we become the kind of people that are different. But third, I'm most excited about this, is that I want you to reorganize your water closet time into prayer closet time. Taking you a minute, but yes. What I'd like you to do is I'd like you to take your time when you go to the bathroom and have that be prayer time. I'd like you to take that moment when you're walking into the stall or into the bathroom or into your house and, and to not have your phones, guys. <laughs> Literally put your phone down and, and use that time to reorient your heart to God in that moment. Okay? Does that make sense? Just so you know, you pray, you pray. You use the restroom three hours a week. That's 27 minutes a day. See, I just got you 27 minutes of prayer a day. You'll thank me later. That's fine. So those three things, and what I would love to do is I'd love for us to be talking about them. What are we experiencing? What are we seeing? What, how, we, how is God meeting us in these ways? Um, how does God surprise us as we take just a, a one intentional step towards praying more? All right, those are my three things. For today, our passage, one of the passages today is Psalm 139. So hear the word of the Lord. O Lord, you have searched me and know me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my paths and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, Lord, O Lord, you know it all together. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I I cannot attain it. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, well, you're there. If I make my bed in shale, you're there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. This almost concludes in verse 23. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and, and know my thoughts and see if there is any grievous way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. This is the word of the Lord. 
One of the reasons I love Psalm 139 is that it provides, maybe not the most, but an incredibly comprehensive and complete framework for praying honestly. Basically, you have the psalmist saying, okay, so Lord, you've searched me. You you know when I stand up and when I go and when I sit down and when I'm doing this and when I'm doing that. When when I'm trying to hide myself, yeah, you know that and and you're there. When, When I'm on my highest highs, you're present, you're there. And when, when I'm in the bottom and, and the lowest low, that you're present there with me. There's no such thing as darkness with you. I'm present and visible to you at all times. So where in the world can I go that you are not? And the answer is nowhere. And so the response in prayer is then, well, okay, well, I, I might as well come to you with all of what's true about me. If the psalmist is writing the truth, then and there's no purpose in, in, in hiding. It says, where are you going to hide? Where are you going to go into darkness? There's no dark with me. You're going to go far. There is no far for me. And so the desire then is to say, I, I'm going to bring all of myself to you because I might as well. You see me already. Philip Yancey um, says, prayer invites me to lower my defenses and present the self that no other person fully fully knows to the God who already knows. A friend of mine, um, Spencer Collins, um, I asked him to share the story because he shared with me a couple weeks ago and it was really impactful to me. He, he was talking about a time when he, um, he'd gone to seminary for three years and was planning on going and being a pastor. And so he, all his trajectory from basically kind of college on had been towards becoming a pastor. And, and uh, he found himself about two years after having gone to seminary with all the doors having shut. Next thing you know, he'd, he'd gotten into the flooring industry and bought a flooring company. And, and for about two or three years following that, he realized something significant had shifted. One is that he hadn't read any books anymore. From, from college on, he'd read basically a book to two books per week. Some of them deeply theological, other of them like a Christian life movement, some of them about preaching. And, and suddenly, as, as his life transitioned, all of it dried up. And not only did his reading dry up, but he found himself realizing that his relationship with God seemed to have dried up. What's really going on? Am I of any use? Am I of any purpose? And Um, he said he found himself coming to realize suddenly as he couldn't muster up the appetite, not even to read one book, one Christian book, he realized that all along he'd been reading so that he could be the kind of person that was going to be worthy of respect, that he, that he would have the, the acumen and the information to be able to be the kind of person who would have something to impress other people with. And, 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 and it was, and that, that, that reality just kept sinking deeper and deeper and more and more discouraging to his heart. And, so after about three years of, of just seeing some of that, he found himself in a church service in the midst of a, of a, of a private confession time. And um, he suddenly just said, I, I, I just looked at God and said, I don't think I love you. I mean, not, not really. I'm realizing all the effort that's been, that had been coming out of me, out of my, my religious fervor, was actually more for what it was going to offer and show and display. I don't... I don't know that I even love you. And, and I don't know what to do with that. And as he shared the story, he got tears in his eyes. He said, so I just sat there and all I could hear God say was, I know. I know. He said, what's amazing about that moment is that having declared the thing that he was frankly ashamed of, so afraid was maybe true, 
And what would that mean about him? That, of course, all the lies and the realities of he shouldn't have been qualified to do this anyway. I mean, anyone who really was going to be a good pastor or a good churchman was going to clearly always be in love with Christ. And maybe he didn't love him at all. And, and the words of the Lord saying, I know. They washed over him and they freed his heart. He said, I, I remember exactly where I was sitting. And suddenly, it was okay. And I was okay. And I told the thing that I was so afraid to even just say out loud and call it to God. And, and he knew it all along. He knew it all along. He said, he saw me to the bottom. And yet, suddenly I realized he was still fond of me. And it, and it changed my heart. It's like, I don't know that I'd been that honest with God yet in my life. So how honest are you with God? I mean, really. The Psalms are amazing because they're strikingly honest. They are filled with heart-wrenching laments, with true, genuine disappointments. There's candid questions. There's unapologetic requests. And then there's this unfiltered praise that seems to just fly off the pages. Why do the wicked prosper? And where are you? Why are you silent right now? Psalm 44 literally says, Wake up, Lord. Do you not see what's going on? Wake up. Why do you hide your face from us? But then there's also this honesty and, and intimacy and, and praise that comes out. Psalm 32, you, you're, you're a hiding place for me. Like you're the safest place when everything is going awry. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. As a deer pants for, for streams of water, so my soul longs for you. I, I yearn for you. So there's this heartfelt expression of just how it really is, what's really going on in the psalmist. But it's not just the psalmist. You got, you got people like, like Jonah. This is like in the Bible, okay? Jonah chapter four. Let me see where is it. Yeah, but this is, here you go. Here's Jonah. But this is because God brings not, not, does not bring the judgment on Nineveh that Jonah was hoping for. And he says, but it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And you know what the next line is? And he prayed to the Lord and said. Now, I find that awesome. We can immediately go to like Jonah, and, and no doubt he's an easy prophet to pick on. The dude had some issues. He gets super upset about like a leaf coming up and then dying the next day. And he's like, I want to die. So the dude's got some, I don't know he's got some issues. Apparently he wrote the own, this book, so at least he was telling the truth. But, but I, want you, I don't want you to miss something. The connection between, and Jonah was displeased exceedingly and he was angry and he prayed. He brought the thing that, undid his worldview that was messing with everything he thought was good and true and he brought it to God. There's an honesty about what's really going on in Jonah that manifests itself there and ironically he like says the truest thing back to God. I know that you're like full of mercy and compassion and steadfast love and I'm really, really Hebrew pissed about it. Um, it's the Hebrew. Um, <clears throat> I'm really angry about this and I, and I, I want you to know because that's the kind of relationship I have with you. I tell you when I'm angry. Job has a terrible experience and then some rough friends. And as you go through the book of Job, more and more do you hear him lament and struggle. And 
He begins to interrogate God, how can all these catastrophes be happening to someone who is faithful to you? It doesn't make sense. Answer me. I'm here. Answer me. You got Jeremiah who was thrown into a pit after listening to God. He says, you deceived me. I'm being ridiculed. I wish I wasn't born. Now, he's not saying this to other people. He's talking to the Lord about this. He's saying, this is the reality of what has manifested itself for me. And you have the Jesus, with Jesus, you have the, the, um, the, the disciples crying out on the boat. There's a storm. Do you not care that we're going to perish? Mary and Martha saying, if you had, if you'd just come earlier, my brother wouldn't have died. There's all these pictures of people, Paul talking about the, the thorn in the flesh, wrestling, pleading with God, take this away. This is bad. How can this be good? It's afflicting me. It can't be good. Throughout the scripture, that just scratches the surface. There's, there's dozens of examples and, and pictures and, and narrative moments of understanding that God has filled the scriptures with people who talk honestly with him who tell him the truth about what they're experiencing and about what people want and what they wish was true and what's not true and, and their sorrow in it. And some of us have learned to be honest in prayer. And some of us uh, still posture. We pretend. The central characteristic of honesty is not true in our relationship with God. We don't talk to him for real. We don't tell him what's really going on. We don't bring our True selves, we bring some form of a pretense or opposing, uh, a version of our false self that's sometimes the better version of ourselves and other times just a part of ourselves. In short, we relate to God as we should be instead of as we really are. And prayer and relationship with God is only alive when it's the real me engaging the real God. Otherwise, it's not prayer. So we must pray honestly. But it's hard. It's challenging. It's not natural. Paul Miller in his book, uh, Praying Life, which is an amazing book, highly recommend it. He says, uh, Jesus wants us to be without pretense when we come to him in prayer. Instead, we often try to be something we aren't. We could begin by concentrating on God, but almost immediately our minds wander off in a dozen different directions. The problems of the day push out the well-intentioned resolve to be spiritual. So we give ourselves a spiritual kick in the pants and we try again, but life crowds out prayer. We know that prayer isn't supposed to be like this, so we give up in despair. We might as well get something done. That's the problem, he says. Well, we're trying to be spiritual, to, to get it right. And we don't need to clean up our act in order to become a Christian. But when it comes to praying, we forget that. We, like adult, adults, try to fix ourselves up. In contrast, Jesus wants us to come to him like little children, just as we are. The difficulty of coming just as we are is that we are messy. And prayer makes it worse. When we slow down to pray, we are immediately confronted with how unspiritual we are, with how difficult it is to concentrate on God. We don't know how bad we are until we try to be good. 
Nothing exposes our selfishness and spiritual powerlessness like prayer, which is, which is precisely why we must pray. Precisely why we must pray. It's one of the reasons I'm giving you these exercises to do. Just wait until you're sitting in a stall, trying to focus on God, trying to pray about the last meeting you just had, trying to, trying to focus on the text message or the people that you're supposed to be caring about and what God will reveal and what God shows and what you get to interact with him on from that place. C.S. Lewis said, the prayer preceding all prayers is, may it be the real I who speaks. Listen to that. May it be the real I who speaks and may it be the real thou that I speak to. We'll deal with that second part next week. But may it be the real I who speaks. Some of us are posers. We, we, we're kind of taught that way. We, when we pray, we're not us. We're, we're some, some fabrication of what we're, we were shown to be, maybe as, as by parents. Or, but it's, it's not us. It's not the real I who speaks. So some of what it would look like to, to, contra, to, to go against the things that, that Paul's describing, Paul Miller's describing in that, would be to actually tell God when you're distracted, Lord, I'm distracted. I don't know what's going on. It would be to talk to him like you would a person. Like when Becky looks at me and says, hey, listen, you're not listening to me. Give me your eyes. You got, anyone else have that moment? It's like, what do you mean? Um, no, no, give me your eyes. Like I, I want to know that you're with me. I want to know that you hear me. And, and so what would it look like for us to, in our praying, to be talking to God about what's going on in our praying. Most of us don't want to bother God with the problems we're having talking to him, right? And the honesty of it, the reality of it, is you are a distracted mess. You do have a thousand things crowding into your heart and mind. You don't have enough time for anything, leisure or fun or a rest, or you don't have enough time, or it doesn't feel like you do at least. What does it look like to, like Jonah, take the thing and, and, and deal with God with it? That's one of the things about, and Yancey in his books talks about the idea that prayer is keeping company with God. I love that. Keeping company with God. And, and if you're like most people, most Christians, you, you, you maybe have a time in the Bible in the morning, maybe you read for a few minutes or pray for five minutes or something like that. It's pretty common. It's kind of the normal Christian experience. And, and, and that's not true for everyone. I understand that. But that's the norm. And then, and then the whole day goes by. And then you, in the next morning, you wake back up, maybe, and, and you find yourself going like, huh, here we are again. And a whole day went by, and God was nowhere in there. And that's why the goal would be, what does it look like to have prayer be actually an ongoing conversation? Something that I've heard people talk about for a long time. I've never known what that meant. I've never been able to figure out what it meant. And, and some of these practices that we're going to play around with, that we're going to work with and see, what does it mean potentially to have God be reorienting us all the time? And what happens when our muscles get strong enough that it starts happening and we don't have to work so hard because it becomes more natural? That's what sanctification looks like. But if there's honest prayer, there's also dishonest prayer. Uh, Jesus hits two particular things. I'm going to blitz through these. One is uh, Matthew 6. He says, and when you pray, there's more than this, but we're going to talk these two. And when you pray, Jesus says, you must not be like the hypocrites. Be honest, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues or at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. All right, honest time. 
How often when you're praying out loud or you're in a group, maybe someone praying over lunch or your community group, how often are you aware of what you're saying and how you sound? Or, or maybe not you, but how the other person sounds. Jesus says, don't be a hypocrite. Don't be an actor, is actually what it means, right? Don't be a hypocrite. Don't be someone who's acting and pretending to be something that they're not on stage. Be the real thing. We talked a few months ago about you should match, right? Like who the person that's praying should match the person that is. And so what that means, I'm going to say this twice, you should sound like you. Some of us have prayer voices. <laughs> you know who you are. Or maybe you don't. So this is great. This is great. This is some of why we're doing a prayer series. You get to ask people. So I would like you, this is one of your exercises, one of your takeaway homework things about honesty is, do you sound like you when you pray? I, I, I asked Clark, right? But, but three weeks ago, I looked at Clark. I was like, all right, Clark, tell me the truth. Do I sound like me when I pray? I, do, I, do I get all weird? Or do I, you know, some of us do the, like this soft, this soft voice. Because the, the Lord doesn't really hear us well. We shout. So we're very serious about prayer. And others of us get super eloquent. We, like, we have like a theological dissertation going on in our prayers. We want to make sure that everyone in the room is not getting any wrong ideas about the Bible, about God, or about anything. And so we like, we're teaching a sermon in the midst of a prayer. And you're like, wait a minute. Is he telling God this? Because didn't he write the book? And you feel like, no, no, you're telling me this. Got it. We're not praying anymore, right? We want to have a conversation about that. That's fine. But do you sound like you when you pray? I think that's one of the most fundamental foundational things about whether we're being honest when we pray. Because it's not the real you. Which means it's probably a little messier than what you make it sound like. Maybe the language isn't the same. The next verse in Matthew, Jesus says, and when you pray, don't heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. For they think that with their many words, they'll be heard. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. Which, by the way, that's a fascinating line. We can't touch it this week, but we will. What he's saying here is don't, don't, don't go through magical incantations. Don't repeat the same phrase over and over. Um, Clark was telling us a story about a guy who pre used to pre uh, pray at his church years ago. And first time he stood up there and prayed, it was like, whoa, that was a prayer. Eloquent and beautiful and like, wow. Then he prayed two weeks later and he, and he prayed the same prayer. I was like, hmm. And then a couple weeks later, he prayed the same prayer again. It was like, oh, this is your prayer. Like that's the thing that you've crafted and that you're just, you're just kind of like, you're just reusing because it's awesome. And again, there's nothing wrong with praying certain things consistently. I'm not knocking that, but it's the reality of, I'm just going to say these things. And if I can just repeat certain things over and over and over and over, maybe I can have a spiritual experience from those things or, 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 or maybe I can be in particularly impressive with a certain kind of, of language, a certain set of verses. And Jesus says, don't, don't do that. Be be true people. Be honest when you pray. Bring the real you when you pray. Don't be an actor and a hypocrite. Don't be someone who's trying to, to muster, to make God do stuff that he doesn't want to do by, by pushing and saying something over and over and over as if you could bully him. Like Dwight going, five, four, three, two, one. Five, four, three. It doesn't work. It doesn't work with God. Don't do that. Be you. Be real. Be true. The office is very old, I'm realizing. It's so passe. So 2004. Um... 
So please ask people about your praying voice. All right, that's, that's when you're to I'd love to hear what those conversations look like. All right, so three ways to pray more honestly. One is to ask more honestly. To ask more honestly. Luke 11, 9 to, uh, to 13 is, is, a, is a fascinating set of verses. It says, and I tell you, Jesus says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, it will be opened. Wow. Okay. Wow. Verse 11. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead give, uh, instead of a fish, give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then who are evil knew how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask. This verse, in this verse, Jesus is saying, ask everything. I know, I told you, you're gonna have reservations. Just ask everything. Knock, knock away. Seek and petition. Ask honestly. Because I promise you, Jesus is saying, that your father knows how to give good gifts, so he's not gonna give you something bad. So you can ask away, and even if it's bad, he's only going to give you what's good. So ask away. That's why Peter says, cast all your anxieties on him. Oh, there's some stuff you shouldn't be anxious about, so you shouldn't cast those on him. See, because that's your, that's your broken immaturity, so keep those aside. The good anxieties, you can throw those. No, no, you cast all of them on there. You don't even know which ones are good and bad. Not really. Cast all your cares on him. All your anxieties, even the mundane, the trivial. Don't be afraid to ask him of anything. He knows he's a, he's a good father. He's better than you at knowing what is good. And here's the thing. In the beginning, you're undoubtedly going to ask badly, ask immaturely. That kind of goes with the territory. But we have to come to understand that it's immeasurably more destructive, immeasurably more unhealthy to not ask, to, to, to hold back, to stop asking God because, because we're trying to sort out exactly what I should ask and wouldn't ask, then to continue to ask him freely, to bring as part of the process, because it is in the process of learning through our imperfect, half-baked, selfish request that we will learn God's heart. That as God answers our prayers, we will have a sense of like, this is what God is like, and it's our understanding of what God is like that will lead us to pray more honestly and more wisely and more truly. But we don't start there. And here's the thing. This is what's crazy about us as people is that kids, you're just talking about that. Kids, they just pray ask for anything, right? I mean, if you have kids, you know, they'll just ask for anything. Good, bad, wrong, wise, expensive, cheap. They, they don't care. They'll just ask. And that's kind of how we're supposed to start. But sometimes what happens is that we, we do mature, and, and that's the goal, right? We should become more holy. We should have a much better sense of what's true about God and how to pray. And what happens, though, is we over-sophisticate ourselves. We become so impressed with how we know what we should ask that we, that we start losing some of the childhood, childish dynamic that says, I don't know. I'm not sure. Yesterday, we were... Um, with John and Amy Zimmerman, as many of you know, Amy's 
uh, cancer's gotten real bad in a real hurry here. Um, and so she's hospitalized. And uh, Becky was, um, as we were leaving, we were just praying for her. And Becky had her hand on her. And we were just we're praying. And, and we're driving back from, from the hospital. And she goes, I, I felt silly asking for God to heal her. Because it doesn't look like he will. It looks like it's going to be short. It doesn't look like he will. And so I felt, I felt foolish, you know, kind of like it's what a little kid would ask in the face of what the trajectory is and everything that they're facing. And, and she's like, and I didn't even feel like I was really praying in faith. I just felt like it's what I want. It's what I want. It's what I want to see happen for my friends. What I long for, for, for John, her husband. I, and so I just asked and I was like, hey, I think that's the thing right there. Don't worry about whether it's proper or not. Just, just ask honestly. God's going to sort that out. Must ask honestly in light of what's really going on and what's really true of us. Can't short circuit our relationship with God by trying to parse our requests and prejudge what's appropriate, likely to be answered. We will we'll kill the reality of what it means to be in relationship with God. He says, ask And what's cool is that the more we ask honestly, we make room for the Holy Spirit to teach our hearts. What he'll do is he'll refine us to know what we truly long for. And that comes by really asking and really being honest. One of the questions that are really helpful in these moments is um, when, when you have a deep longing, a deep desire, something you're asking for is to ask, what, what would that give you? What would that give you? I really want a new car. Okay, well, what would that give you? And to start walking through the process of realizing there are some good and deep things that belong to God all the way at the bottom of those desires and longings that are in his heart and that you can pray with certainty and with fervor and with joy as well as praying for, hey, I need a new car. We must ask more honestly. We must lament more honestly. If you were on the, on the men's retreat this past, uh, this past spring, uh, Gordon, Gordon Bowles did an awesome job of, of inviting us to lament and of trying to knock down all of the blocks that keep us from lamenting as, as, as people. And of course, as I said, the Psalms are full of laments. More than half of the Psalms are laments or have major sections of laments in there. You know why? Look at your life. How hard is your life? How hard is the life of the people around you? It's hard. It's a broken place. And so we lament. We tell God about the things that are broken, the fact that things aren't the way they're supposed to be. This is uh, Gordon's quote about lamenting. I'll post this on the city, by the way, because this is worth chewing on. He says, lamenting is, is not grumbling. Grumblers are indifferent or hard towards God and have built a defensive fortress around their hearts. They have been hardened by the consequences of the fall, sin and suffering and death, and have buried pain, doubt, and resentment instead of bringing those to the Lord for him to redeem. Lamenters remain receptive to God, but confused about life, which causes them to search out God and wrestle with him. Did you hear that? If you're confused about life right now, like you're in good company. It means you got some lamenting to do. Lamenters feel the same thing as grumblers. 
but keep bringing them to God and are stumbling towards truth with openness to God's capacity to redeem any human incident. Open that God somehow can redeem any human incident. Lamenting is bringing our humanity to God honestly. It is questioning him complaining to him and emptying our fleshly nature upon him. Lamenting is an essential part of surrendering to God and turning over our sin to him. Lament cuts through insincerity, pretense, and distance and brings us face to face with the Lord. The Lord honors this integrity by giving lamenters more of himself which ultimately is the result of what prayer does. As we pray, either in asking and lamenting and, and confessing, we get, more of, we get more of him, which is entirely his desire for you, is to have more of Christ in you, more of the reality of the beauty of God within you. And no one lamented like Jesus. The writer of Hebrews says, in the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. You remember the words? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? They just rang out. That's lament at its, at its deepest and maybe at its clearest sense. Why? What is going on? Jesus lamented to his father honestly. And I believe there isn't a better invitation for you. The son of God lamented to his father, so can you and so should you. Lastly, we confess more honestly. Some of us are, are more willing to bring our brokenness and failure to God for multiple reasons. And some of us, we just, we posture with God. We, uh, Oftentimes what we do is we wait. We wait until things have gotten a little bit better or it's been a minute since we've been particularly sinful and then we re-engage with God. And I know I've said this before, but this is human nature, so I'm gonna say it again. God desires to have relationship with you, I would say, even in the midst of your sin. I talked to a woman one time, she was telling me this a few years ago, she told me the story about having had an absolute terrible, she was going through a really difficult time in her life, terrible day, drove by Publix, bought a bunch of chocolate and sat in the parking lot at Publix and ate chocolate, ate chocolate, ate chocolate. And in the midst of this, started talking to God and saying, I, I don't know what else to do right now. I know this is not what I should be doing. I know I'm trying to so soften the pain that I'm feeling, but I, I just, I, I don't know what to do. I should be coming to you, but I don't even know what that looks like right now. And, and it was, what's amazing, and she told me this with tears in her eyes, she says, something incredible happened. I've been a Christian for years, so when something incredible happened, I sensed, that, I sensed that God just sat with me. In it. In the midst of saying, I'm not going to you, I'm going to take care of me, which is the ultimate reality of sin, right? It's rebellions. I got me, not you. You don't rescue me, I rescue myself, and... And it, that, that day is like one of the most marking spiritual moments in her life. That God sat with her in her rejection. 
that he would see her all the way to the bottom and that he would receive her. And that was the beginning of confession. And it turned into far more over the years and there's been a different story since then. But, but that reality that God would sit with us in the midst of our profound need to be confessing live, not later on when you've been good a little bit for a while. That's not honest. That's actually, again, bringing your best self to God, dragging behind you the few good deeds that you've done since, or at least it's been a, a minute. And so, so now I can relate to you because you can receive me now. That's not honest. It's not true. It's not what actually makes you acceptable. So forgiveness is present, which is why our confession must happen in the moment. Psalm 51 says, a broken and contrite, oh God, you will not despise. Oh God, I don't know how to get out of this. I don't know how to quit. I don't know how to stop hurting people. I don't know how to stop this habit. I, God, help me. Forgive me. I don't know how to, please t- point me somewhere. Show me something. Not pretending. No pretense. In his book on prayer, Yancey says, my image of God more than anything else determines my degree of honesty in prayer. Do I trust God with my naked self? Foolishly, I hide myself in fear that God will be displeased, though in fact, the hiding may be what displeases God most. From my side, the wall seems like self-protection. From God's side, it looks like lack of trust. In either case, the wall will keep us apart until I acknowledge my need of God, of God's surpassing desire. Sorry. Until I acknowledge my need and God's surpassing desire to meet it. When I finally approach God in fear and trembling, I find not a tyrant, but a lover. So why do you pray? Why, why, why should you pray? Because every single, I know this, every single person in this room longs to know that they can come with all, all the ugly, all the self-righteousness and, and all the pride and, and, and all the selfishness and all the ugly and, and be with someone and have them receive them. Have, them. have them love them even with that being true. We all long for that. We long to have someone that we can, that we can pound up against with our anger and with our doubt, with our uncertainty, with how the world isn't the way. We, we, have, we want someone that can handle us We want someone that can see past some of the petty things and can see something more, something as it should be, something that's filled with hope. And we have Jesus, the kid answer. And he's that someone. Like he sees you to the bottom, right? Right now he sees you to the bottom. He knows, he knows everything. He, he, knows, he knows your bad attempts at being good. And he loves you anyway. He sits with you anyway. He's, he's waiting for you. He desires the real you. It's the only person he can really love. It's the only person that can experience love. And that's what he's offering you. He's offering you love. Paul's prayer for the Ephesians is, he says, I pray that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend. Like if, what, a, what a great combination of words. Strength to comprehend. You have to be strong to be able to let this in, to hold this in. With all the saints, What is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth? And to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. 
I think it's possible that the most important purpose of prayer may be to let our true selves, who we really are, be loved by God. And in prayer, as we lament, as, as we confess, as we, as we ask, we come face to face with that God. And we do so only in Christ, which is why it's the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. Like you have someone who is for you and who wants just the real you. That's all he's asking for. And what's amazing is that on the cross, he made a way for the real you, messy as you are right now, imperfect and self-righteous as you are right now, he's made a way for you to actually be with him. That you can approach the throne of grace with confidence. You can walk right up and you can be honest. Yeah, yeah, I've said it before. It's worse than you think. Yeah, I know. That's what the cross did for you. And that's what we remember when we come to the table. We remember that you have access and, and that you get to come as you are. Oh, the good news is, is he's going to make you someone new more and more and more. But you must come as you are now. You must take these elements as you are now. Not as you should be, not as you will be, as you are now. And in that and in that grace, you're going to become somebody different. You know what's going to happen? You're going to start praying more honestly. That's one thing that's going to happen. Let me pray. Father, There are a thousand reasons why we don't pray honestly, why we don't relate even honestly, but um, we ask that you would do something significant and deep and transformative in us. Would you, would you meet us right now where we are, maybe in, in fear of, of self-revelation? I feel like if we tell you, then we'd have to actually be honest with ourselves. I don't know, Lord, maybe some people in, in this room right now that are, that are, that are hiding, that, that they're, they're trapped in their secrets. And Lord, I just ask for freedom. You came to set prisoners free, like all the way free. Or would you make us people who, uh, the kind of people who pray more honestly, who ask more honestly, who confess more honestly, who, who lament and wail more honestly, and that in that we would get more of you. That's what we want. We want more of you. So meet us, Lord, we pray, and give us grace as we take these elements, that you would nourish our spirits and, and, and let these elements be the, the that that foundational bottom ground of what it means to be able to come to you. They would remind us as we take them in our body that you made a way. Pray this in Christ. Amen. You belong to Jesus. This is your meal. But I'd ask you as you come forward, you take the elements and you go back to your seat. I'd like you to just take a minute before you take them in your own time to bring the real you to God right here as you take these elements, the real you. And so you may need to talk to him for, for a minute or two. But um, that's who he wants to meet with right now. It's the only person he can meet with, so come.